This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. Uh, today in our scripture, we're going to be reading Genesis 37, verses uh, 12 through 36, uh, as we continue to explore the theme of sibling rivalry in uh, Genesis. So uh, join me as we start verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are you not? Uh, are your brothers not pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. A man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw, him after, they saw him afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said, no, they said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what, what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a, into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped, it, and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It's my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned his son for many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No. I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold, had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. 
Amen. Thank you, Jason, worship team. Welcome, Antioch, those who are with us on a dreary, cold, rainy day, and those who decided to stay home and watch us online. Can't blame you, but maybe next week you'll be with us. Okay, I just have to ask, how many think the Eagles are going to win tonight? Raise your hand. Raise your hand for the Eagles. Okay, I see some hands. How many think the Chiefs are going to win tonight? Raise your hands. How many could not care less? Raise your hands. Ah, the care, could not care less have, have it. You know why we like sports, though? It's because we are in the middle of a battle, right? God has put us on the earth, and there's a battle raging, and who's going to win? Joseph's been thrown in a pit, and now he's sold into slavery. How many think Joseph's going to prevail? Raise your hand if you think Joseph's going to prevail. He's going to be the winner. Yeah, he's going to be the winner in this, and his brothers, the losers, although they will be the benefit of his victory, they will share, they will share some of those benefits as well. So this passage opens up with Joseph at home with Jacob, and the older ten brothers are pastoring their father's flock near Shechem. Let me just stop right there, right? Because when you read that, it immediately raises questions in your mind, at least it did in mine. First, why would the brothers go anywhere near Shechem, right? For one thing, it's 50 miles away from home. They're 50 miles. They're a five-day journey with flocks, herds and flocks, from their, from their home. And secondly, nothing good happened there when they were living in Shechem before, right? That's the place where they held on to their foreign gods. That's the place where their sister was assaulted. That's the place where they slaughtered every man in the place and then plundered the city. I mean, if the brothers' pictures are on anybody's walls, it's a most wanted picture. Why in the world would they go back to Shechem. Second question, why is Joseph at home instead of at work? Now, maybe he was at work. Maybe as the youngest of the brothers, but still old enough to do work, maybe he was in charge of the home flock, okay? So they had some sheep and some goats and stuff around the house that they could, they could use and eat and whatever, and so he was in charge of that. And we know that he was given an incredible gift by God of administration, but still... Given the the fact that you know he's the most hated of the brothers, and then and then Jacob calls him and says, "Hey, I want you to go and check on the older brothers and give me a report. Bring me back a report on them and the flock." Man, Jacob, read the room, man. I mean, come on, this is not going to end well. You should know already that the hatred that the brothers have for your favorite son is growing by the moment. And yet, here it is. He sends Jacob, and I love Jacob's response. We sung it this morning. Here I am. Here I am to worship. Here I am to to, to lay down my life for you. And Jacob says, go and check on the brothers. And Joseph says, here I am. So we see his submission to his father. He might have had that same question in his mind that we have. It's like, is this a good idea, Dad, for me to go and check on the ten who hate my guts right now? You know they do. I know they do. He just says, here I am, and he goes. So let's look at this passage under three main points. Brothers conspire, Reuben intervenes, Joseph sold. So Joseph gets to Shechem, and his brothers are nowhere to be found. So he's wandering around in a field, and the man says, why are you wandering around in a field? What are you looking for? And he says, I'm looking for my brothers. Do you know where they're pasturing the flock? And he says, oh, they're at Dothan. So now that he has to go another day's journey away, Dothan was 10 to 15 miles from Shechem. He could have gone back to his father and said, 
Couldn't find them, Dad. I heard they're in Dothan, but, you know, I was a long way from Shechem, and I just decided to come home. But he didn't. His determination to obey Jacob sets the stage, sets the table for the next 20 to 25 years uh, that will eventually result in the people of Israel coming to Egypt. So the brothers see Joseph coming from a distance away, and they say with dripping hatred, here comes this dreamer. See, they've already given him a nickname. He's not Joseph anymore. He's dream boy. He's, he's dreamer. As if Joseph, in their minds, had come up with his dream on his own. I mean, it couldn't be from God, right? It's, possible that, it's impossible that these dreams he's, he's told us about came from God. No, no. He made this stuff up to elevate himself above us. But they see him from a ways off. Anybody under 12 tell me, how were they able to spot Joseph so easily from a long way away? Anybody know? <laughs> yes, uh, Julian. His coat. He was wearing the coat. Now, we don't know if it had many colors or if that was just a, 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 you know, a term that we said last week that described a long sleeve tunic that royalty would wear. But probably it was flashy. It was easy to spot from a long distance. So they see him. And look, check this out. The sons of Jacob, the grandsons of Isaac, the great-grandsons of Abraham conspire to murder their younger brother. Listen, they don't conspire to bully him or even to beat him. They conspire to take his life. They agree as a cabal, that this is their action. This is what they're going to do. Why? Because the seed of the murderous intentions were already in their heart. It started with envy. It grew into bitterness. And now it is simmering and, and boiling into a rage that gives them the, the, the idea that they will take their brother's Life Sounds a lot like their forebears. Remember those guys, Cain and Abel? Same deal. It started as envy. Why would you accept his offering and not mine? What's wrong with my offering? And then it turned into bitterness, and that led to fratricide. He murdered his brother. The point of the reminder for you and me, folks, is that sin starts in the heart, and it cannot be eradicated from the outside in, because even though the brothers did not physically kill Joseph, they were all guilty of murder in their hearts. How do we know this? Uh, the Sermon on the Mount. You say you shall not kill, but I say anyone who's brother, angry with his brother without cause has already committed murder in his heart. Sin cannot be managed with behavior modification. Does that mean we never discipline our children? Everybody said, no, everybody say it again. Like you really mean it. No, we discipline our children, but we discipline them with behavior modification that includes heart change. Because unless we get the heart of our children to understand why they should obey and why what they did was wrong, then we're simply just going to be trying to manage their sin. Let's, let's see if we can manage your sin so you'll get less good at it. Uh, they're not, that's not going to work. So we have to have a clean heart. And the good news is God works from the inside out. Right? He comes in and changes our heart when we submit to him and repent and, and follow him. He begins the work that needs to be done in our heart. And as a result of that, our behaviors change. Our actions change. So the brothers conspire not only to kill Joseph, but look, they're not only just going to kill him, they're going to throw him in a pit. 
Well, you say, well, what's, what's wrong with that? Well, because there's going to be no opportunity for Jacob to, to bury his son. And that was very important in that culture, you know, to be able to, to bury your dead and to be, know where they are, at least their, their remains are. He was not going to be able to bury his son. He's not going to be able to mourn over his son and see him again. But they don't care about that. They don't care about anything. So they, 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 they begin to come up with this lie they're going to tell their father. They're going to deceive the deceiver by telling him that a fierce animal devoured Joseph. What an irony. The only fierce animal that's going to devour Joseph are these ten brothers. And they say as they finish this plan, we'll see what will become of his dreams. Another irony. Yes, you will. But here's the thing. Joseph, Joseph doesn't have a life dream that includes being sold into slavery, being accused of sexual assault and sent to prison for several years, and then eventually being exonerated and elevated to the number two person in the most powerful kingdom on the earth at that time. You know what? His life was, wasn't about fulfilling his dreams, and neither should ours be. His life was about following God no matter where God took him. You see, if our, our life is all about fulfilling our dreams, then Jesus becomes a sporting, supporting actor in our story, on our stage, instead of the Lord of creation who wrote the script and directs the play and actually created the players. So Joseph was a dreamer, but Joseph wasn't chasing his dreams. He was following God. So that leads us to the second point, and that's Reuben intervenes. Reuben was the oldest, right? And he blew it already with his father's, one of his father's concubines and fell out of favor with Jacob. And he knows that if he doesn't step up here and act like an older brother and protect this, this brother from being uh, murdered, then, boy, his head's going to be on the chopping block. He will never find favor again with Jacob. At least that's my interpretation maybe of why he stepped in because his plan was his, his plan was to rescue Joseph. Moses tells us that. Reuben was going to come back. Maybe, you know, when they took a day journey, he would come back and he would pull Joseph out of that pit and Joseph would, would live. He only half rescued him, though, uh, because they say, okay, let's not kill him or shed his blood. Let's throw him in the pit. And they agreed to that. They thought, all the brothers thought, okay, we'll throw him in the pit, Reuben, but there's no water down there, and there's no way to get out of that pit. It was a deep cistern, and these were dug in the desert for, for the purpose of watering flocks, and so the rain filled them up, and they, they, they watered their flocks, and when it was a dry period, there was no rain, and a man would die down there in three days without water. So they knew, Joseph, okay, fine, we won't kill him with our own hands, but we'll kill him by putting him in this pit, and there's no escaping from that. Notice the first thing they did before they put him in the pit? What did they do? What did they take off of him? Right. They took they stripped the robe off of him. Just as one day Jesus will be stripped of his outer clothing by men who would then nail him to the cross. And remember, after Jesus' outer clothing was taken, those Roman soldiers, what did they do? While he was hanging on the cross, they gambled to see who would get his outer clothing. Clothing. That's macabre to think about these men 
doing that. You know what's even more macabre? Here's Joseph thrown into a pit by his brothers where they intend for him never to see the light of day again and die. And they sit and have a meal together within earshot, probably, of Joseph. They eat happily, ignoring the cries of anguish from their brother, who in their mind will never see uh, eat again and will never escape and see the living soul. You know, many years in Egypt, you know what they say to themselves? In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. So, so to me, that says Joseph's in the pit and he's crying out, Brothers, please, please don't do this. What, what have I done? Please, please come and, and let me live. Come and get me out of this pit. They be, he, he begged them. And they did not listen. I love this quote from Donald Barnhouse. A physicist could compute the exact time required for his cries to go 25 yards to the eardrums of their brother, of the brothers. But it took 22 years for that cry to go from the eardrums to their hearts. That leads us to the last point. Joseph is sold. So another intervention takes place, right? He's in the pit. He's going to die. But then Judah says, when he sees this caravan of Ishmaelites coming, hey, we can make some money off this kid, right? We're missing an opportunity. He's the entrepreneur in the group, apparently. So there does not seem to be an ounce of brotherly love or concern for, for Joseph. Judah just says, we can make money out of him. He does say, he is our brother, our own flesh. So maybe, maybe there's just a little bit of, is this the right thing to do, leave him here? But he's really, uh, he's really conflicted. You know, Judah is the forebear of Jesus. We know that. This is the lion of Judah. Jesus is the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's the one, Jesus is the one who will come and rescue all who come to him by faith. And though Judah's motives are purely monetary, I think, at this point, he is the rescuer. He's the rescuer. After the debacle with Tamar next week, which is a horrible story, and you're not going to like Judah at all, but after that, we're going to see some hopeful signs in this one from whom the lion of the tribe of Judah will be born. So Joseph is sold to the Ishmaelites. Does that sound familiar? The Ishmaelites. Where did those guys come from? Ishmael, right, from the flesh of the brother's great-grandfather, Abraham, not the son of promise, but the son of flesh, the first son who was born by Hagar, his wife's servant, Ishmael, and he had become a great nation. And these were Ishmaelites, people of, of that kin. And so they, they, they buy, these Ishmaelites buy Joseph for 20 shekels of silver, which, uh, which was the common price for a slave in those days. All right. And my research tells me that 20 shekels of silver in the Old Testament is equal to 30 pieces of silver in the New Testament. Interesting. So the blood price for Joseph was 30 shekels of silver, or 30, 20 shekels of silver, and the blood price that Judas got for Jesus was 30 pieces of silver. So Judah sold Joseph for money, and then one day Jesus... Or Judas will sell 
Jesus for money, the type of Jesus, Joseph, and then Jesus himself. Joseph lived, though. God's word about Joseph would be fulfilled no matter what men did to him, just as Jesus, God's word about Jesus would be fulfilled no matter what men did to him. So about the time the caravan must have disappeared in the distance, Reuben comes back. See, Reuben wasn't there when Joseph was sold. Where was he? Well, the only thing that, that people suggest is that he was with the flock. So the flock was being pastured away, a little ways away where they could kind of keep an eye on it, but they weren't right there with the flock. And so somebody had to be with them at all times to protect the flock from predators and to keep sheep and, and goats from wandering off. So it was, it was Reuben's turn. This is, this is what, you know, best practice or best thinking about this happens to be. It was his turn. He left to go take care of the flock. They come up with this plan to sell Joseph. He's just out of the distance when Reuben comes back. And what does he do? He looks in the pit and he is, is, is uh, distraught. He tears his clothes. It's an act of grief to me that indicates that he believes Joseph has been killed. They killed the brother, even though they said they wouldn't, and they buried him somewhere in the sand. And he says, the boy is gone. Where shall I go? Reuben was concerned for Joseph, but he was also concerned for his own dilemma facing the father with his news. So what do the brothers do? They, best, they said, okay, look, let, let's do it this way. Let's handle this this way. Let's tell Jacob, dad, not that we sold Joseph into slavery. Let's tell him that he was killed by beasts. Here, we'll slaughter this goat. We'll take the blood of the goat. We'll put it on his coat. Good thing we got the coat, boys. That was good thinking. We'll put it on his coat and we'll tell him, oh yeah, we found this coat. We were coming back from Dothan and we found the coat. And, you know, that's how we'll deal with this dilemma. It's interesting. Another irony is that the deception of their father, Jacob, depends on goat's blood. And years later, Jacob's deception of his father, Isaac, depended on goat's skins. So the final callousness of the brothers is breathtaking. So not only did they plan to murder, they did not murder. They sold their brother. He's going into slavery. They weren't thinking, oh, he's, he's going to be fine, right? No big deal. It'll be, you know, three hots in a cot, that kind of thing. He'll be taken care of. He, he's going to be a slave. But I mean, what? no, no. Slavery in Egypt was a death sentence for the most part, right? God intervened and had Potiphar by him, and we know that. But he could have been sold to anyone and spent his life in misery and died a young, at a young age because of the work. But they say, we'll, we'll, um, we'll tell dad that he was destroyed by a wild beast. But they, when they come back to Jacob, they say, this we have found. They hold the coat up and they say, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. They cannot even conceal their hatred for Joseph in the face of their father's grief. Notice they didn't say, is this our brother's coat? They said, is this your son's coat? They don't console their father for his loss. They simply ask him to identify the evidence of it. Jacob's grief is profound here. He identifies the robe. 
He says, Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. He tears his garments. He puts on sackcloth and he mourns for many days. They come and they try to in, in, in comfort him. This is important to understand. The whole family tries to comfort him and he refuses. He says, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Translated, I don't want to live. I don't have a reason to live. My grief, my sadness, my sorrow, my depression is such that I do not want to live another day. No, you cannot console me. You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that it's based on a lie. His sorrow and his sadness and his depression is based on a lie that he has believed, and he has every reason to believe it. His son's told him this is his son's coat it's covered in blood there's no dna testing of the blood to determine eyes on human blood he believes joseph is dead he will never see him again you say well what's the big deal that lie shaped his life for the next 20 to 25 years has that ever happened to us vic talked about that with false narratives Jacob believed a false narrative that if he ever saw Esau again, he would die. And here is Jacob believing a false narrative from his son. How do we make sure that we're not living as a slave to someone's lie? And it could be a parent, it could be a pastor, it could be a teacher, it could be a friend. How do we make sure that the way we live in our life is not based in part on a lie we have believed about ourselves or about something else that we care about. I'll give a couple examples. If you grew up hearing that God only loves you, only really loves you, if you dress a certain way, and if you really work hard to do everything right, and you're always happy, and you never struggle, or at least never show that you're struggling, that's a what? That's a lie, and it can shape your life. And there are a lot of people who grew up in that kind of mindset, that kind of church, and that kind of household, that kind of environment that have not recovered from it and, and need to be delivered from that. How do we fix that? Well, we hold that lie up to the truth of what the Bible really says about you and about me. If, on the other hand, and this is epidemic nowadays with our young people who grew up hearing the word from your parents, went to a good church where you heard solid teaching and you heard the truth and you believed the truth and you became a follower of Jesus and you read the Bible and you believed, hey, I've, I've made for a purpose. I'm, I'm God's person. And then one day they, they believe, they hear from others that it really doesn't matter what you believe. Come on, that stuff. You don't have to believe that. What's, what's important is that you are true to yourself and that your feelings, that's what matters. How do you feel? And are you being true to yourself? All that other stuff you heard in church and from your parents and from the Bible, come on. Does that shape your life? Is that shaping people's lives now? How do you deal with that? You hold it up to the truth of God's word. 
You don't hold it up to the lie of social media. You don't hold it up to the lie of the culture. You don't hold it up to the lie of your best friends if your best friends don't believe the truth of the scriptures. You go back to the Bible. What does it say? Maybe your parents messed up in the way they taught it to you. Maybe the church wasn't perfect. Hello? No church is. But you go back to that which is perfect, to the Word of God, and you say, no, this is what the Bible says. Jesus said it like this. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Where does it start? Abiding in the word. Taking everything back to the scriptures. As we said this morning, Lisa did a great job teaching this morning from the chapter in the book. You know, why can't we just believe that we can be good without God? Lots of reasons. But it's because God is the creator of all things. He created the earth and everything that he, he created, he said is good. And he told us how to live and he told us how to follow him. We take everything back to that, to God himself. You know, the truth would have set Jacob free, wouldn't it? I don't know what those 20, 22 years were like. But he wasn't the same Jacob he was before when Joseph was alive. And he's not the same Jacob he will be when he sees his son face to face in Egypt at the end of the story. He suffers for those years because he believed a lie that somebody had told him. And they never came to him in those 22 years and said, Dad, look, you know, one of them, maybe one of them could have come and said, Dad, listen, we, we didn't kill Joseph. We sold him into slavery. Don't know where he is. Don't know if he's still alive. But, but Dad, we didn't kill him. That alone would have set Jacob free, at least in part. They withheld the truth. We can't do that with our children. We can't do, do that with our parents, our brothers, our sisters in Christ. And we can't do that with people who don't know the Lord. We know the truth. And the truth is what is able to set people free. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning for the truth that we know and the truth that we're continuing to learn and the truth that never wavers, the truth um, is the rock upon, upon which we stand, the truth of God's word, the grace uh, that's been given to us and the love and, and the peace and the joy that we sung about this morning that only comes uh, because we have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. So Lord, help us, uh, Lord, to help those that are in bondage to lies that they believed. Help us if we've told lies that have put our children or our grandchildren or our friends or neighbors, or parents in bondage. Help us to recognize that and to make that right. Help us, Lord, to, to confess things that we believe that aren't true and to, uh, to let you change our hearts from the inside. And we will give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.